As you know, the On Farm podcast is brought to you by the team at Seen and Heard PR and Marketing. And I just wanted to remind you about a new initiative that's happening here called On Record. On Record is a project to preserve voices, stories and memories for the future with your very own audio recording. So we're recording memories of rural life. We're travelling around Scotland, working with families and organisations to capture precious voices of family members or staff members or long-serving office bearers to preserve those for posterity and sometimes for historical value. So if you think this project is something that you'd like to be involved in and maybe you have a grandparent or a parent that you'd like to capture on audio while you can, please do get in touch. You can find out more at onrecordmemories.co.uk. Well, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. This next session really is at the top of the agenda. Welcome to the latest edition of the On Farm podcast. I'm whispering because we're at the back of the NFU Scotland AGM and we're listening to Martin Kennedy, NFUS Vice President, who's talking about climate change. Uh, We've got a number of experts on the stage talking for over an hour about the topic and it's also the topic of our podcast today, so we're really keen to find out more. Show how we are actually part of a positive solution when it comes to climate change. So we've stepped outside of the main room now and we're in the foyer area. We're recording an entire episode now about climate change and there's been some amazing presentations on stage huge amount of thought-provoking stuff lots of brilliant questions from the audience but I'm now joined uh, by three experts from within the climate change sector I've got Mike Robinson with me Mike is the chief executive of the Royal Scottish Geographic Society we also have Nigel Miller who is a former NFU Scotland president and we also have Ruth Taylor who is uh, the first ever NFU Scotland climate change policy manager so I think that in itself is, is fairly significant Mike, I'm going to start with you if that's okay. Um, Not everybody listening to this podcast will necessarily know the statistics in terms of the the challenges that have been set. Can can you tell us briefly about those? Well, the latest set of emissions targets as laid down last year are that we will achieve net zero emissions by 2045 in Scotland and 2050 in the rest of the UK. Of course, that's an important headline target, but it's also a little bit distant too. So probably a more realistic target is to, to focus on is a 75% reduction by 2030. And that's a very significant move from where we are at the moment. That comes with lots of complexity. Um, there's issues around not just simply exporting the problem by trying to import stuff instead that's actually maybe produced in a a more inefficient way. So we've got to be really careful that we are making the most of our own produce and our own uh, expertise. But we also are going to have to radically shift some of the operations that we have and not, not keep ignoring the importance of carbon and other greenhouse gases in agriculture Actually, you know, nitrogen is hugely important. Only transport and agriculture really impact nitrogen. And, of course, methane has a role to play too. Methane, CO2. Can you explain a little bit the interaction between those two and perhaps any misconceptions that people have about which is which and what they do? Uh, Well, I mean, methane is is probably the biggest gas that is directly impacted by agriculture. Um, but the thing about methane is it's, um, it doesn't last in the atmosphere that long. It's usually only sort of 28, 30 years before it starts to degrade. Carbon dioxide actually sits there for a very, very long time, hundreds of years. Um, nitrogen only really for maybe 100, 150. So I think we forget sometimes it's a bit like having a, 
a, a, a loch or a pond and, and you started throwing rubbish in it, eventually it would fill up with rubbish. It has nowhere to go. And I think sometimes we forget the atmosphere is like that. It's, there is nowhere for this to just dissipate. And, you, know, you, you stick it in the atmosphere, it's there. And it'll stay there until you do something to actively remove it. So carbon dioxide still remains the biggest concern uh, overall because it is so long-lasting. Um, but methane is much more impactful. It's, it's something like 28 times the impact of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere whilst it's there. There's been an awful lot in the press of all channels uh, lately. Um, I suppose for want of a better phrase, you know, farmer bashing or being very critical of the far farming sector. How accurate do you think some of that coverage has been and how can we make sure that, that what we're saying today at this conference is, is completely accurate? I mean, well, there's a lot of questions in that. The first is, uh, how often are the media accurate? Um, that's an interesting question in itself. I think the NFUS should worry less about the Daily Express and the Daily Mail and, uh, and worry more about the bigger picture. It's a very complex issue, solving climate change. There isn't one single silver bullet. There's not one absolute, we mustn't do this, we must do that, other than reduce fossil fuel emissions. So actually how we go about it is, is a very complex, nuanced, balanced equation. We don't want to lose sight of societal gains. We don't want to lose sight of biodiversity issues. We don't want to lose sight of economic reasons for running farms. We can't make it unsustainable to do that. But we must get to net zero by 2045. So there's an awful lot of things to consider. I think there is probably a bit too much um, targeting of agriculture in some ways because the way it's currently counted doesn't actually do agriculture any great favours. But equally, there hasn't been enough effort within agriculture to mitigate climate emissions. I mean, the biggest single issue is meat consumption. I don't think anybody really realistically thinks that less meat consumption is a better thing generally. But what the sort of uh, agricultural community's got to try to do is just acknowledge that it's not an issue it's not a major change it's not a fundamental never again it's a slight reduction is actually what it's portrayed and I think the UKCCC only present it as a 20% reduction it's actually beneficial for lots of different reasons so move on from that agriculture's got a huge both responsibility but also opportunity to tackle this issue on many more fronts than just red meat it's much broader than that it's about soil carbon it's about practice on the farm, it's about nitrogen use, it's a whole, across a whole spectrum of activity. Let's embrace that as the challenge and get away from a slightly one-dimensional media story about meat. It's a much bigger issue than that. How optimistic do you feel about the farming industry's ability and willingness to, to tackle this head-on? I always remain optimistic about this, um, but... At the end of the day, like everybody else, and it's, this is nothing peculiar to the agricultural industry. This is true of everybody and all industry. We all need to do more. One of the things I think is often happening is that people have an anxiety about hypocrisy on climate change because they're always conscious of what they're not doing. And by being so hung up on hip, that feeling of hypocrisy, they're not talking about what they are doing. They're afraid of being shot down for what they're not doing. None of us is doing enough. We all need to do more. So acknowledge that and get on and do the things you can do. I know you said there is no silver bullet, so, so this may be slightly putting you on the spot here, but I wonder, we have listeners who are farmers, many of them, but also many who aren't. So I wonder if you could tell me two things. One, what one thing do you think non-farmers should be doing? And what one thing do you think farmers should be doing? 
might allow you two if you need to. I might, I might need more than one. Um, farmers, I think, well, my, my personal immediate focus would be around nitrogen. I think there's some real easy win-wins there in terms of restricted use of nitrogen, which I think isn't going to massively upset anything I think could actually be delivered quite quickly. I think the issue and part of the point of the inquiry is so actually how do you help deliver that what's required is it expertise is it support is it funding whatever in terms of individuals non-farmers actually so my answer I mean of course it could be transport it could be all sorts of things but actually the answer I'm going to give is that all of us probably deep down recognize that we need to do something and we all recognize that other people need to do something so what we actually all of us can do is allow some of the changes that need to take place. Be more permissive. We know there's change required, but there's always a sense, and certainly if you read some media, that every single thing that's put forward as a potential solution is knocked back as you know either completely unacceptable or not going to work. We've got to pick our solutions, we've got to be consistent, and we've all got to pull in the same direction. And in some cases, even if you can't directly help make that happen, allow it to happen give people permission to make the change if sadly i'm not but if i was heading off to maybe south africa on my holidays and i was thinking oh but but that's okay because i'll just go on one of the off these offsetting websites and and my problem will be solved what would you say to me um stop it uh i would say Okay, so there's a really important point, and it's true of every single sector and every single activity. There's a hierarchy of behaviours. There's a hierarchy of fossil fuels. The first and most obvious thing you should always be doing is cutting back or cutting stuff out. It's got to begin with that, because nothing else is particularly credible. And actually, if you look at consumption emissions and not production emissions in this country, the story's nowhere near as rosy. So we've got to cut back first, and that's the first thing you should always be trying to do. Then if you can't do that, you look at options and alternatives. You look at other ways to get there. So if you're determined to go to South Africa, see if there's other ways to get there. And actually one of the things I think we forget is that it challenges the way we think. It's much more, needs a lot more ingenuity. But actually there's an awful creativity and a complete adventure in doing things differently. There's actually a slowtravel.com website where you can get any freight ship anywhere in the world. We need to look at... We need to look at other ways to do things. Yeah. So that's that's the options and alternatives. Thinking outside the box. Yeah. yeah. If you can do that, and only if you can't then do that, you then move to option three, which is to capture emissions in some way. Yeah. And that's, again, legitimate, but only if you can't do the two before. Mm-hmm. And then only when you can't do that, you should then think about offsetting. The problem we have at the moment is every time you give people alternatives, they'll always try and take the easiest alternative yes. first. Yes. So there's a huge amount of conversations about offsetting. If you actually look closely at the climate legislation in this country, it tries to prohibit offsetting. So it's not the answer. This is not the first, and it's definitely not the first answer. It's the last resort. Absolutely. And perhaps not enough people realise that. Uh, definitely not enough people realise that. <laughs> so, Nigel, Mike tried to help us all to understand the difference between methane and CO2, but I know that there's something that you thought might be worthwhile adding to that. You know, Mike's uh, uh, you know, thoughtful and very pragmatic, and I think we've obviously discussed things off the record quite a lot, and we are in, in probably pretty much the same place. Well, we are in the same place, I think. It's a matter of just how you express your uh, uh, your goals. Mike's comment, which was about you know, being open to change or not blocking change, is actually quite important. It's a mindset thing. 
reality is we're going to go through an extraordinary period of change. But farming always has done and has been really good at actually grasping these things. And it's really just, uh, uh, I, I guess, a plea for farmers to have that open mindset as they have in the past. Not just about their systems and the way we do things and their businesses, but also you know, about uh, land use as well. We can actually be smarter in the way we use land and still farm. And now you talked on the stage earlier about a menu of options. Now, I'm absolutely not expecting you to remember that menu now, but what, can you give us some sort of concrete examples of what people can actually start doing literally from, from tomorrow onwards? Yeah, well, I, th- I think the, the key thing about the menu is that there's all sorts of management interventions you can do where you get a marginal gain. They're not a quick fix, which is suddenly going to move, move you to a low-carbon system. It's a matter of actually looking at your system and accumulating a whole range of changes which move, moves the whole business. I, I guess in some ways they, they fall into categories. There's precision farming, and I guess the arable sector has been really good at taking that up, probably dairy farmers as well, as far as nutrition goes. But some of the GPS uh, we have and auto steer, field mapping and yield mapping, so which we actually vary the, the inputs and, or the nutrients onto the soil, these are really smart ways of actually re- reducing our carbon footprint. Then if we look at you know, uh, the way we manage our slurry and manure and our nitrogen fertilisers, again, there are ways of doing that so we budget correctly wh- wh- how we use them, but also we apply them at the, the right time in the correct method and balance it to the, to the soil status. And again, a lot of us are doing that, but we could actually do it better. And then there's... there's uh, pretty obvious win-wins, things like your animal health. If you improve animal health, you can maybe reduce emissions by 9 or 10% overall. Now, that, that's a bit of a catch-all, but it gives you an idea of what's achievable. Genetics, just by using the, the normal balanced breeding goals which we have just now, again, if we all did that you know, over a period, we could, without anything you know, new in our genetics, we could actually improve our footprint or, or reduce our emissions by 9 or 10%. Uh, nutrition getting clover into swords, using more diverse swords, having a rotation where there's a legume involved, looking at stubble management so that uh, we can maybe either maintain a a green stubble or sow in something like mustard to scavenge the nitrogen so you don't actually have emissions coming off. You trap it and then you you cultivate it in as a nutrient for the next crop. Things which are are, good farming practice but it's a matter of actually being more disciplined and, and making use of those devices. A lot of them are actually cost-neutral. Some are cost-positive. Some cost you things like covering slurry stores, you know, injection or, or uh, trailing shoes for slurry application. Big wins, 40 or 60% reduction in emissions. But these are costly machines, so maybe you need your support for contractors or farmers to invest. We're looking at 30% reduction you know, is, is achievable now. I don't know a huge amount about this topic, so I feel as though I've learned a huge amount in the last two hours. And one area which particularly interests me, and which I think many or most non-farmers will know very little about, which you do as a former vet, is, is the genetic side of things. Can you maybe just explain that in a little bit more detail for the uninitiated? The genetics in plants is actually quite interesting, but you'll put that to one side. Genetics in, in livestock have really been initially focused on production traits so whether it be milk yield or whether it be growth rates you know whatever you know that's what's really driven things in more recent times they've looked at more balanced breeding goals they look at fitness traits 
feet, uh, uh, you know, locomotion. Sometimes they've even looked at disease resistance, but also at uh, reproductive efficiency and things like that. So it's a more balanced breeding goal, and that's where we are now. The next stage is really looking at maybe creating a climate change index, and that climate change index would start incorporating other more direct breeding goals like feed conversion efficiency, which you know we've looked at in the past, but we probably haven't really taken to the limit except in poultry and things like that. But the one exciting one which uh, SRUC are working on is actually methane production. It looks as if there's real gains to be made there, and it is quite heritable, a heritability of 0.4%. So you could actually select animals which produce less methane, do uh, uh, convert feed more efficiently, and you have, uh, I suppose, balanced breeding goals incorporated as well. And so you'd go to a new generation of livestock, which actually you could actually contribute to our climate change targets. It's a really exciting time. You know, there's you know, a lot of science going on, and, and I think that you know, if we look at uh, nitrogen fixing in, in crops, you know, that's an area that genetically you could actually improve, but also improve the period that the nitrogen fixing takes place, so you're not using so much fertilizers and changing the the mix of herbs within a sward so that uh, there's greater depth of roots so you're sequestering carbon to a, a deeper level and soil carbon is, is, is at the basis of, of uh, your climate change farming. So this is exciting stuff too and if we look at the livestock there's things we can actually do with feeding. There's anti-methanogens actually feed additives that we can use to reduce methane. Uh, one of those uh, 3-NOPA, which is being looked at abroad just now in the US, it's not licensed here yet, but it's showing reductions between 10 and 80, 80% in different systems. So we've not just got the genetics, we've also got work going on at an SRUC are looking at other anti-methanogens, including seaweed extracts. We've got all sorts of tools which we can use uh, beyond our, our more precision nutrition and our precision inputs of nutrition, which could actually revolutionise our, our livestock sector. Well, um, Ruth, my first question to you was going to be, why does NFU Scotland need a climate change policy manager? But I think Nigel has just told us all of the reasons why your job is completely essential, because it sounds like you've got a lot to do. <laughs> Can you tell us a bit about your role and how it's going to be contributing to, to some of the things that Nigel's just explained to us? Yeah, absolutely. I think the first thing to kind of cover would be climate change is top of the agenda for NFU Scotland. You know, we're really keen that farmers are part of the solution to climate change. And like Nigel says, there's a whole kind of range of measures that can kind of be taken. There are many challenges, obviously. I see one of them as being how you actually communicate this to the industry in a way that makes them want to pick it up and run with it with enthusiasm. So how, how do you think you'll be able to go about doing that? I think it's something Mike talked about earlier, and I think it's mostly about communicating those kind of win-wins and the uptake of measures in the short term that are win-win for a lot of people working within the sector. I think that's really, really important. It can be a, an intimidating topic and kind of feel a little bit inaccessible, and that's something in my role that I can kind of make it a little bit more accessible and make the, the whole topic seem a little bit less daunting. Yeah. And within the farming community, how, how has the reception been to, to your role being created? I'm really interested to hear about that. Yeah, well, everybody's been very nice so far. I've been, I've been really lucky. I've been to quite a few different kind of branch meetings and AGMs and everybody's been very welcoming, very enthusiastic, willing to kind of engage and, and ask questions and, and make sure that, you know, we are kind of finding answers, finding solutions and, and working together. Do you think most people are, are willing and, and keen to, to make that positive con contribution and make those changes themselves? 
Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a, a great deal of willingness and enthusiasm within the sector. I think, you know, people are really keen to engage. People do recognise that it is something that, you know, ultimately we have to engage with going forward. Nigel was telling us about, you know, gave us some amazing examples, some of which are low or no cost, but others, as he said, have got a cost attached to them. What are the mechanisms whereby farmers can, can try and deal with those in terms of seeking funding or things like that? Yeah, so I think funding and support for the sector going forward forward will be, will be vital ultimately. Um, I know that the Climate Change Act that was passed in the Scottish Parliament last year makes reference to an agricultural transformation fund. The Scottish Government's programme for government that was um, brought in in September 2019 makes reference to an agricultural innovation fund. I think things like that that can help. Yeah, um, some people are, are you know struggling to get the day job done. They, they they may not have this at the top of their priority list, and and actually maybe just as importantly, they may not know what they need to do and how they can find out information. So, what would be the first step for somebody who really hasn't looked at this in their business before? I guess it's a matter of giving people information, but choice. You know, I'm particularly keen on a menu system because it hopefully allows you to have a whole spectrum of opportunities, some of which are quite simple and some of which you will be familiar with and maybe if you actually introduce it gradually, people maybe have a, a lower target for the first year or two they can actually draw down off that menu four or five things that they are comfortable with and then as, as, as the uh, climate uh, uh, priorities rise you actually increase the, the targeting in that menu so they have to go into more difficult options. Now to actually allow them to do that, you need to have probably at least the, the opportunity to get one-to-one phone advice, maybe one-to-one uh, support as well on farm. Because not only is it a matter of making change, but if we're actually going to deliver on international commitments, we've actually got to audit this. So the idea of having a menu system which is through greening means that you actually capture the changes that people sign up to and it's audited in some way. And in doing so, as you gradually build that menu with support from advisors, uh, you've almost created a, a climate change plan for that farm, which is tailored to that system, to, the, to that holding, so it actually fits with that. And it allows people to go down different routes. They may go down a very high-tech, intensive unit route, or they may choose to be fairly extensive and be almost organic and look at sequestration opportunities. But it's important that all our farmers have a destination that they actually buy into. And I think to underpin that, we've actually got to re-look at the way we, we manage our soils. We probably want to make that mandatory uh, so that farmers understand what uh, carbon status they have and the Compton Authority does on a, on a, on a national database because it not only is a, a fantastic evidence base for agriculture and all the value it does, but it also allows farmers to manage the, their soil organic matter better and it allows us to look at weaknesses where we could actually improve because sequestration and soil uh, carbon management will be part of the solution. And it also uh, underpins uh, uh, greater production, lower uh, fertiliser use, and soils which can actually be resilient under your know, high and low r- rainfall instance. So it's a win-win. So use that as a culture change, have a menu where people can choose and give direct support to them. I think that's really important, actually, because people have got to feel as though the plan is tailored to them and specific to them and it's not just some sort of off-the-shelf thing that they're supposed to do their best to, to follow. It's the, in order for them to engage with it, they've really got to feel as though it's relevant to their business, I think. 
I would completely agree with that. I think what Nigel said about having a destination that we can all buy into is, is really, really important. I think as well, a lot of these solutions, making them, having a, a menu of, of options for people will be really important in recognising that the landscape is different across the whole of Scotland. So having things that individual farmers can do and, and buy into in the long term that's going to be, you know, maintain or improve production, be profitable and kind of, you know, help reduce their emissions will be will be really important. And I think you've both quite rightly used when you've been speaking the word profitability and I know today there are two sessions both looking at profitability well that's going to be critical in this as in you know it's critical for everything because if a farm isn't profitable they're not going to be able to have the money to to invest in some of these measures so Nigel what do you what do you think of the relevance of that? Yeah well the 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 inquiry is very much focused on your positive pathway for agriculture and uh, and also for the landscape and biodiversity, profitable businesses are absolutely key to that, unless we actually maintain it. The sad reality is that a lot of businesses are only marginally profitable just now, and uh, you know, 60% require direct support, at least, to actually be profitable. And I don't think we can forget that. The reality is that going forward, you know, a form of direct support, which also ensures that there's a sustainable income off the unit, is absolutely crucial. This isn't a, an era where we can pull back from agriculture and let the market solutions kick in. Not if we want to have a, a, you know, rural communities which are vibrant, not if we want to have diverse food production, and not if we want to have biodiversity and, and uh, uh, nice landscapes. So it's a matter of, of, uh, of framing that in a way which underpins change and underpin, underpins low-carbon farming. And certainly for capital investments, we need a capital investment fund to actually underpin that. And also for forestry or agroforestry or, or peat restoration, you know, hedges, we need to have funding for that which allows people easy access. At the moment, uh, uh, you know, forestry funding you know, excludes agroforestry. The planting densities required mean that you know, it, it's just not a non-starter for many people. And Ruth, what, what are the other measures that, that the union is putting in place to, I suppose, smooth the way and make it as easy as possible for its members to, to, to start getting involved with some of these measures and the menu that Nigel's outlined? My role is, is really crucial in that and kind of signifying kind of a, a long-term intent on on this issue we've also we have a dedicated researcher working on a lot of these issues and it's you know been really great to kind of work closely closely with her and and learn a lot from her expertise I think also going forward it'll be really really important for us to help communicate the the benefits that you know agriculture has for for the wider environment and for the climate and to work alongside other policymakers, stakeholders and essentially the government to make sure that any policy coming forward reflects the realities of agriculture in Scotland. And, and throughout the process and the journey that, not that we're just embarking on because we've been on this journey for a long time, but the journey that, that is ahead, how do you think the industry can best communicate that farmers are part of the solution rather than the problem? So as a union, we've kind of partnered with various organisations going forward to, to, do, to do just that, to, to celebrate what, what we've done as an industry um, and show what more we can do as um, part of the solution. I think COP, um, the Climate Change Conference in Glasgow this year, will also be a really, really key opportunity for Scotland itself and also for various industries, especially agriculture, to, to showcase that. Yeah, I can add to that. I think that we tend to be reactive. If we get bad publicity... We're probably pretty sensitive to it, and, and, and the instinct is to react to that. And that generally doesn't actually uh, you know, make things any better. It doesn't move move the debate. But I think that you know, if the industry is actually going to 
to have a better image or, or, or show a true image, we've got to have a plan with, with defined end goals, which is transparent and people can see it. And we've actually got to have some form of auditing, which again is transparent and we can see it. So as an industry, we're actually providing solutions and we're providing real goals, which are positive for society, positive for uh, biodiversity, positive for food. If we can do that, maybe we can move away from this appalling sort of attrition between various uh, single lobby groups and ourselves which gets us nowhere. So we'll finish up with Ruth. Ruth you are you're in the position whereby you are the first ever climate change policy manager um, so no pressure but you know what's, what's on your to-do list? You've been in job for three months what, what do you want to achieve in the rest of 2020? I think 2020 for, for Scotland and for the climate change conversation is really, really important. It's a really exciting time. Um, on my to-do list, is really I'm really keen to make sure that we have a strong voice at the climate change conference. It's coming to Glasgow in November and really keen to kind of build on a lot of the partnerships that we've already started, working with Scottish Wildlife Trust, with Nourish, um, and really kind of keen to keep these partnerships going. Great. Thank you very much and good luck. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of On Farm. I hope you enjoyed it. It was a busy one and a noisy one, but it's been really enjoyable and, and really vibrant. So you know how to find us, I hope, now online, on Twitter and everywhere else. Um, Apple Podcasts and Spotify, if you want to listen, just search for On Farm. And thank you very much. We'll, we'll uh, see you next time. <laughs>